0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty.
1: And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. So today on the show, we're going to talk a little about correcting wet fields or, or basically just managing wetter fields on the farm. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's going on in, in your operation, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844 844- Four four two four seven four three. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so we talk often about drain tile here on the show, but correcting a wet field is not just about drain tile. So let's put it this way. We want to make sure that we're keeping that water table down, and that's very important, and that's where tile comes in but there are also several other factors that lead to a field being wetter than normal. And we talk about it from time to time here on the show. Calcium, you want to make sure you have good calcium levels. Ideally, you want at least 65% calcium in a base saturation test, but 75% is even better. And the reason why this calcium thing is such a big deal is because calcium is big compared to magnesium that's small. And so basically, when you have all these big particles there of calcium, then it allows more pore space going through that soil. So it's easier for water to flow through. It's easier to have more air in the soil a little deeper in that soil, which is a big reason why high calcium fields a lot of times will yield more than low calcium fields. It's just, it's how much air do you have? On top of that, you got to take a look at Just what are we doing for compaction management? And (laughs) people will sometimes say, well, we want to try to eliminate compaction. Well, you're never going to eliminate compaction. I don't care what you do. There's always going to be some degree of compaction out there. But it's key to identify what you have, how serious it is, and then do something about it, whether it's some deep tillage, planting some crops that hopefully will keep that soil less compacted, building your soil organic matter is a really big thing, and then just flat out staying off the field as much as you can when conditions are wet. Unfortunately, we don't farm in a perfect world. We know that sometime, sooner or later, chances are you're going to be out in that field when it is a little bit too wet. I mean, we've had to do it and so has pretty much everybody out there. So that's just, that's one of the things that goes along with this. When we talk about correcting wet fields, well, you create future issues when you have that compaction out there. And then it doesn't allow water to get down. In some cases, even tiled fields, we see, oh, hey, there's there's more water standing there than there should be. Why is that? You go digging around a little bit and you're like, oh, here's why. We got a thick compaction layer. As soon as we get rid of that compaction layer, guess what? The water starts going down, tile works, everything's fine. So anyway, there are a lot of steps to this. We're going to talk about it throughout the show today. I, I would just tell you, uh, to just to kind of kick things off, though, that almost all fields can be improved. There's nothing that's ever going to be perfect, but almost all fields can be improved, and there are many different management steps you can take. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now
2: mailbag time with Brian and Darren.
0: First question comes in from Clayton over in Illinois. He said, in some no-till ground, I've got a neighbor that's having trouble controlling common tansy. And we've got Smart Stacks corn out in that particular field. What would you spray to knock out this weed that's pretty well established by this time of year?
1: It's always a neighbor that has the problems, isn't it, Darren? Yes, that's so, what, that's how we encourage you to ask just questions fine, on right. the
0: show. You know, my neighbors <laughs> get trouble with this, and I'm just trying to help them
1: out. <laughs> okay, so when we start talking about common tansy or... I mean, there are a lot of winter annual weeds that you end up with in no-till, and they're big. Even like right now on our farm, we, we seeded some oats last fall. And sure enough, the oats was contaminated with a tiny little bit of rye. And so we've got this, this rye grass that's now out there this spring. I love oats because oats just dies off with the winter, so we don't have to worry about it in the spring. So whether you're in my situation or like this, when you start talking about any kind of winter annual, any weed that's going to be big early in the spring... Ideally, what we're after is a burn down right at planting time. So we want to start clean. It's a lot easier because otherwise that weed's going to be enormous by the time you're actually spraying post-emergent corn. So our number one suggestion would be verdict, pre-emerge, and then throw some crop oil or methylated seed oil with it. The reason why we like the verdict is it's got sharpen in there. Sharpen's a great burn down herbicide. Just make sure you're using verdict at at least 10 ounces per acre. 10 ounces will give you 2 ounces of Sharpen. And if you want to go a little higher on the verdict, you certainly can. But anyway, then post-emerge, very best thing is going to be status. Now, you can use an HPPD and a little atrazine if you want to. It's going to be okay on a lot of the winter annuals. Personally, I like status the best. It's going to knock that stuff out for sure pretty much every time if you use the right rate and your spring when the weather's warm. So that brings me to the last thing that I wanted to talk about here. Oh, Okay, like on our farm, we would like to do some spraying tomorrow. Problem is, low is going to be 40, high is going to be 60. Is whatever I spray tomorrow going to work very well? Nope, it's not. So it really stinks because by next week, we're going to have temperatures in the 80s, but then we're going to have windier conditions. So sometimes this is what you're up against. You feel like you can't win. It's either too cold or too windy or it's raining or some problem. So this is why, as a general statement, it's really nice to have more than enough spraying equipment and manpower when it's time to go. And it doesn't take long to spray in a lot of cases, but it's just you got to get your stuff done on time if at all possible. Darren, you got another quick one we can get to Yeah, Mike break?
0: says, guys, you talk about purslane, and I've heard you say that Roundup does a nice job knocking it out. I am just having trouble getting Roundup to work. I've torched it plenty of times, and it just
1: keeps growing. What What do you do to knock out purslane? Less water, more Roundup is typically the answer. Make sure you have ammonium sulfate in there so that water is treated as well. But that's usually what we see. When we start talking purslane, now you're talking about stuff around the, the yard, around the... Uh, farmyard it's very common to mix it up with a lot of water and a little bit of roundup just change your ratio a little bit go a lot a lot less water more roundup and it should work stay tuned we'll be right back
3: my
0: mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all bail
4: hay all day see in the dark with its powerful led lights hook up all the implements Ship like a race car? Steer with ease.
0: And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case
1: IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com.
2: The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey, I'll repair! This whole Midnight Ride thing is getting really- But the HPPD resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict herbicide. Verdict herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Well, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict herbicide! Always read and follow label directions!
0: At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com.
2: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end Zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more.
0: back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about correcting wet fields on today's show. And yes, if you are sitting there and looking at your fields saying, man, I wish I could get out there, but it's just too wet. You know, sometimes there isn't a lot you can do this year, but there are definitely things that you can do for the long term. And if you're farming a piece of ground, chances are you'd like to farm it for the next 20, 30, maybe 100 years in your family. So you want to get those things fixed, and there's definitely a, a return on investment to do so. So that's our topic today. We're also taking your questions. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or just give us a call, 844 44 Got C.J. Parker with us right now with Case IH to talk about this subject of correcting wet fields. How are you doing, C.J.?
3: No, oh, not too bad. How are you all doing today?
0: Well, pretty good. You know, you probably heard this question, too, but I get farmers that will ask me, so, Darren, do you think it's too wet to go in this field? And the answer is always yes. If someone asks if it's too wet, uh, they wouldn't ask the question if it wasn't too wet, CJ. So exactly, yeah,
3: exactly.
0: What do you do, especially when you're the guy that's going to do the tillage or whatnot? You're like, man, I really don't want to mess anything up there that i got to deal with the rest of the year.
3: Yeah, and, and and this time of the year, you know, because we're, we're sitting here, with uh, it's hard to believe June first knocking on knocking on the door, you know, it's um, it might be too late. That's something we we really need to look at too, in the in the fall, to correct those uh, to correct those issues, whether it's a ponding issue or, or a compaction issue, and uh, and I'm a big fan of, of tile as well too to, uh, to get, the, get the water off the them poorly drained soils.
0: You know, even if you've got tile out there, CJ, I have seen compaction so bad that it doesn't let the water uh, flow. It's kind of like I, I always look at it as putting your finger on the end of a straw where the water just can't come out very well. And I've seen once you break that compaction up, uh, the air and water movement through the soil is so much better.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I have a personal experience of that, um, the 40, 40 acres at, uh, at the family farms in, in East Central Illinois where I grew up. We we put tile in this 40-acre field, and It was an extremely wet field, and um, a couple of years went by, and a couple of big rain events, you know, the last been, been two years, and the water just wasn't getting getting off of there. And I went out to, with a spade and dug a shovel and did the, the knife test that uh, that we at Case like to do to find that compaction layer. And uh, it was extremely tight, um, so we we went out there with the uh, the older model of the of the 875. It was an 870 that uh, that we used, and it was just amazing that that next spring when big rain events came, um, the water got off off that field pretty quick compared to the last two years. The water just couldn't get down through that compaction layer to get to the tile.
0: Yeah, it's it's a pretty neat system going on out there in the field below the soil surface, and if we mess one of those things up, we can run into problems all year. How about the crusting issues, CJ? We're hearing a lot of guys say, man, I got surface crusting issues going on this year. What are some of the things we can do with that too?
3: Yeah, with uh, with our surface crusting, you know, we can, um, you know, we, at Case IH, we have our new uh, uh, VT Flex 435, where we can adjust the the gang angle of that vertical tillage tool, and um, I know a lot of guys will will run off that vertical tillage tool at a uh, at a zero degree angle, um, shallow just to to help break up that uh, that that layer crusting. Um, of course, if you have a Tiger Mate 255 field cultivator, or whatever, can, to prepare that seed bed, that can that can help out with that that crusting as well too. Um, once the plants are the plants are up, and um, you get a crust there from a, from a rain event, that's preventing for preventing that corn from from prop, propping through. I guess you got to get out the rotary hoe, which is um, thankfully this spring. I don't think I've seen too many of those out and about. I know I've seen seen a few in the field, but uh, that's kind of the kind of the last resort.
0: Yeah, people ask me sometimes, why do you guys have so much equipment and some of it you don't necessarily use every year? Well, every year is different. I think we hit a few of those points today that uh, if yep. it if it turns out like this, you might need this tool or you might need that one. Uh, we, we always enjoy talking with you. we got C.J. Parker on here with Case IH. C.J., thank you so much. I know you're super busy in the spring, but really appreciate having you on today. Yeah,
3: thanks a lot
0: got Chris Carlton with us right now with TopCon to talk about this a little bit too. Uh, wet fields, Chris. Uh, if you got a wet field on the farm, it really stinks because you can't get in it to do anything. And if you can't raise a crop, uh, it, it's not very profitable.
5: Hi. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Uh, yeah, my name is Chris Carlton with TopCon. And I get to work with the uh, NORAC product on TopCon depth control. And it's exactly there to help you get some of those repeatable results that you're after in your seedbed. Uh, pre- prescribed seed bed preparation how's
0: that you know the seed bed is absolutely critical and and when we we look at some of these fields that are a little too dry a little too wet it makes it challenging it's i would say more times than not the seed bed isn't uh, or the soil conditions aren't perfect for making that seed bed so trying to find something you can do and make it repeatable that, that's pretty valuable
5: yeah so over the years with a lot of testing and validation um Things like you know, a manual tillage operation, when you have inconsistent soils, is going to result in inconsistent seedbed preparation. Uh, and for that, any of the wet areas in the field, you uh, you, know, you can apply this product to various types of tillage type tools and be able to help some of the subsurface uh, compaction issues, as well as right to the seedbed side of it. So, um, doing an automated control or automated system to be able to manage based on your soil types as those inc- inconsistencies and variables come into your event uh, you'll have uh, wet soils obviously will sink down deeper and you get into the heavier um, more more tight or drier compacted ground it's going to raise and implement up and by using some of these ultrasonic systems you're able to actually adjust on the fly and really try to get to that prescribed seed bed, which I guess in turn you are really after making sure your overall potential yield impacts for the year are positive for you, right?
0: Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about this NORAC system. Uh, it, for growers that, that already have existing equipment, is this something that, that can be added on? And if so, what, what do you need to do to make that happen?
5: Yeah, i um, uh, so last year we got to demonstrate it actually out at the, one of the PhD uh, plots out there. We will be doing some of that again this year. But that uh, really, this whole product was based around the ability for a user to take an older piece of equipment and just apply this simple hydraulic control solution. Uh, you just need an ISO, either capable tractor or a standalone display that is ISO. Plug it in. Uh, you can have two to four sensors depending on the size of your unit. And if you have uh, four aft basically control already on your tillage tool, you'll be able to actually operate the whole thing automatically. If you want your gang angle to be a little bit uh, nose forward or completely flat, all depends on your type of tillage tool. It is really a very universally applied product to be able to automate uh, tillage control. So it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. Well, one thing you mentioned earlier, inconsistent soils. I would say that describes 2023 right on the money, Chris, (laughs) that I haven't been to too many fields where I said, oh, it's just exactly the same all the way through. There's wet spots, there's uh, some compacted areas, there's a lot of different things going on.
5: Yeah. And uh, I I live, uh, I think about three and a half hours away from where you guys are. And I believe what, in the last week we have had eight to nine inches of rain. So uh, that's not going to help things here. Get the spring kickoff going very fast, but uh, uh, we also do have a lot of variable soil types out there. So having the right tool and adding in some of these automated features to really help you out to make your job easier—that's really what uh, you know. Topcon and precision agriculture is after to help you out. So.
0: Well, there are a lot of neat technologies out there, and I, I know a lot of times farmers will say, ah, "I don't know, I'm I'm fine with what I've got," or I, "I understand the system that I have." But when you have controls like this that can run automatically to take a lot of that inconsistency out of your field and give you a, a lot more consistent seed bed to to start with, and getting the crop off to that start where everything has a similar environment, it just sets you up for, for so much easier management throughout the season. So really appreciate you talking about that a little bit. Again, we're talking with Chris Carlton here with TopCon. Chris, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you down the road here.
5: Yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
0: You bet. We're talking about correcting wet fields and what are some of the things you can do and and uh, like Chris mentioned there, The problem with wet is a lot of times it's inconsistent. And you got some parts of the field a little too wet, others a little too dry. Uh, We'll continue on talking about dealing with the wet side of things on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned.
2: What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a -a one-of-a-kind approach. One that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product, it's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia. Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit Valent.com/slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions.
1: Hi, I'm Greg Sauter at 360 Yield Center. It's painful to pay high prices for nitrogen. Even more painful to know that a chunk of the end will not be there when the plant needs it. The solution is 360 Wide Drop. With 360 Wide Drop, you apply right before the plant's rapid uptake cycle. You can adjust your rate, resupply lost nitrogen, or cut the rate if conditions are right. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com.
0: You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Learn on the job with the C&B Apprenticeship Program. Through in-person training
2: and on-the-job experience, this unique opportunity gives you the chance to learn advanced ag diesel technology without the traditional technical school format or expense. Learn more at cbequipment.com careers.
5: From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com.
0: listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Sometimes everything's going great out in the field and you think, man, this is so easy. That doesn't happen very often though. More times than not, things are too dry, too wet, too hot, too cold. There's something going on and we're talking today about one of those. We're talking about wet fields. What can you do between tiling, tillage, uh, you name it. What ideas have you got? We would love to hear from you. 844- 44 ag phd let's head down to alabama a place that can get too wet can also be too dry sometimes get our friend chad henderson who works with the extreme ag group down there chad how you doing
4: oh great how you doing
0: good first of all i saw pictures of your field day and i thought man that's awesome i wish i wish we had enough crop up out of the ground we could do a field day right now it looks like fun
4: (laughs) yeah it was a good time i really appreciate everybody for coming out we had a you know, some good people there and some good interest and, you know, good conversation. And it was a, it was, it was a all around good time, great weather for it. You know, We couldn't ask for anything better.
0: Well, there's nothing better than the middle of the season, just taking a day off and saying, okay, I'm going to go learn. And you start comparing notes with other guys. I mean, none of us are, are the sole source of good ideas. So hearing from others and, and coming together on that. And, and Matt Miles, we were talking to him when he was on his way down. I'm like, man, then you bring in other guys like Matt to, to share what, what's going on with that knowledge base. That's pretty fantastic.
4: Yeah, you know, it's, it's nobody has all the answers, you know. And, and us as farmers, you know, we just keep sharing until we know. You know, and so that's what it's all about is, is keeping the wheel moving, you know.
0: All right. Well, how about wet fields, Chad? I don't know if you've got a solution other than sunshine and a nice breeze for dealing with <laughs> wet fields, but, uh, that's, that's been, uh, about the best you can do in season. I know between seasons or for us, even until that crop's about a foot tall, we like putting some tile out there. And if we don't have enough, we can always add some more.
4: Well, you know, that's, that's what we're lo- Thing too, we've talked a lot about how we're, we're near professionals at it, but we have learned a lot, you know, and and a lot of from people, you know, that I've met with through so y'all too. But yes, the tiling has been great. We're looking at two more projects now. Um, the guys that we get to install that will be um, coming down, and we'll be installing tile here with, uh, by the first of June. So we've got about 150 acres that we're going to put in, and and so here we go again. So we've definitely learned what it can and can't do um you know and and we're going to test some stuff on three inch on 30s three inch on 40s four inch on 40s you know and test some different spacings and see what we like
0: yeah that's the way to do it do some different trial work and and see with your own eyes what it's like and plus i can imagine june in alabama i'm not gonna mind if i have to get down in a hole make a connection maybe get a little wet that'd be
3: okay yeah
4: telling you, that's exactly right. You know, the guys are like, how can it be so wet and nasty and so hot in the same time? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, but, but do more of the project. You know, a lot of ours has to have lift stations. So we've got multiple of those and looking at different avenues of lift stations as well. And so, but we have, we've really enjoyed the tiling and the project stuff that the folks at ADS have, have uh, helped us with.
0: You know, when you look at, at tile, a lot of times, Chad, guys will say it's going to take a while for that to pay back. But we haven't found that to be the case in South Dakota. We, we've seen a lot of times payback in a year or two, depending on the size of the project. I mean, obviously you're putting a big lift station in and, and doing pattern tile might take a little longer. What do you see and what do you kind of expect for a payback on the projects you're doing?
4: So the first farm here that we tiled, you know, we had about seven or eight acres that I'd never raised a crop on. You know, I mean, I, I, it just wasn't possible. No, but we we didn't raise a crop. And then when we got it tiled and the first year we produced, you know, the corn that the rest of the farm produced, it was definitely eye-opening for us, you know, to see that because of the fact that, you know, we, we had produced nothing. And this farm, this piece of ground is also irrigated, so you have an irrigator going across it, and it's just grass and trying to get it to stand up. So after tiling that, we seen right quick that we needed to, to do all we could to get it in the ground and then, you know, and obviously we know that works, but it's the places outside of that that you think that, you know, well, that ain't really what I need. Well, understanding the tile and then seeing the water movement has really opened my eyes to what we really don't think we need when we know that we do need it, but we just didn't think we needed it, you know, far as the tiling perspective.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and you you don't really see what's going on below the ground. You don't really see the the where that water table's at all the time, and being able to manage that. I, I love the standpoint of you've got irrigation over the top if you need more water, and you also got uh, below ground. You're controlling where that water table's at, so you know for sure you're going to yep. have good root growth. That that's the best of exactly. both worlds.
4: That, that's right, and you know, it's it's all about getting that, you know, for us, what's done is it, it made us be able to get that planting window uniform, you know, not have a spot that's too wet or, or laying off a spot that was too, too. you know, that was just right to plant but the bottom was too wet. Well, I don't want to turn around on it, so let me just wait. Well, then, you know, things, I mean, with that tile, it's been able to even my ground out, you know, if you will, on the planting date as well, and that's been huge for us.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that I've I've seen, Chad, has been when we get wet, it seems to be at harvest or at planting. So those are the times where I know I need to be in the field, and a lot of times I don't have a lot of flexibility. Man, there's a certain day where if I don't have stuff in, we know we're going to start losing yield, or if I don't get the crop out, I'm sure worried about things too. So I love just knowing that, that I'm going to control where that water table's at and have a have a shot. Uh, Chad, That's right. you you got a lot of summer ahead of you, and I know you got a lot of projects going on, so uh, we'll stay in touch. We'll talk to you again soon and and hear how things are going.
4: Thank you. Enjoyed it.
0: You bet. Thanks, Chad. He's right on the money there, Brian. The the tiling projects have been big for us. I'm glad to hear he's doing some tiling in-crop because sometimes, hey, the best time to get it done is now. And you don't want to wait until harvest because you never know what's going to happen after harvest.
1: Okay, so... Just a couple of days ago, I was talking to a farmer from eastern Louisiana, and he was just saying how, you know, if they don't have humidity even, uh, their crop starts to wilt pretty quickly. And if they don't get rain on a regular basis, they'll get just great big cracks in the ground and stuff like that. And so it's very common in those kind of areas where you say, look, I got to save every bit of moisture possible. We're going to be hotter and blazes in the summer and all water is good water. But the problem that we always have is all water is not good water. When the water table gets too high, that's a challenge. It's going to kill some of your roots and kill some of your microbes. You've got to keep that water table down. So I don't care if you farm in South Dakota like we do or in Alabama like Chad does. we got to take a look at water table management all the time because with drain tile, you're not taking all the water out of the ground. You're simply taking the excess water, the, the water that could be harmful to your microbes and your your plant roots. You've got to keep that water table down to, in our opinion, three or four feet, and then you're in pretty good shape. I mean, even if it's at two feet, that's a big improvement as opposed to having it at a foot or six inches or whatever. And then like we talked about earlier in the show, you want to take a look at just your overall soil management. So, that's why we like looking at soil tests so much. We want to see how much calcium do you have? What are your organic matter levels? What are your what's your overall nutrient balance? You want to try to do everything you can to raise as much crop as possible so you have more roots. So, A lot of times, I just feel like in ag now, there are some people who are getting off on this, oh, we got to go back to how we were farming years ago, and we're going to have better soil health and everything. And I'm going, no, no, you're not. What we have to do is raise more crop, because more crop means more roots. More roots means more sugars get kicked out into the soil for all these beneficial microbes. And then on top of that, more roots leads to more organic matter. Those are the things that make your soil a lot healthier. So that's what we got to focus on. And if we do, then not only is your soil just overall healthier, when you've built up your organic matter and you have all that massive root mass year after year after year, pretty soon you're going to find that your soil is just a little more spongy. Uh, I mean, when you walk across it, it's not hard as a rock you can feel oh hey this is just it's softer that's what we're after that usually means better water infiltration better water movement uh, yeah correcting these wet fields it's really important and sometimes it just it takes a lot of time and dedication but you can get there i'm not saying you can make, make everything perfect but you can absolutely make improvements over time we're going to get to your questions in the ag phd mailbag right after this
2: are you ready we got the need The need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. It takes balance to be successful in farming Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hard-working Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com.
5: officer jones calling for backup Send 4 location craver back 40 looks like we've got palmer amaranth kochia some common water hemp
1: resistant weeds copy that you'll need a good tank mix partner i'm sending tough 5ec come out with your hands up
2: guys we're surrounded crack down on repeat offenders add tough 5ec to your post-emergence tank mix learn more at toughonweeds.com always read and follow label directions tough is a registered trademark of belgian crop protection
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or your emails, radio at agphd.com. Got an interesting email here. This one comes in from Brandon. He said, I've got this uh, farm that I'm just taking over in western Nebraska, and I pulled grid soil samples here on one-acre grids to send to you. This is just on a 40-acre field, but... Uh, this field's normally no-till, however, they've been—they're being flipped from north-south orientation to east-west, so we're gonna have to do some tillage this year. Excellent.
1: One—you got one chance then to get some of these nutrients in the ground. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Okay. So he said, "I'm just kind of curious what you'd recommend." It's dry land. I'm lucky to get a third of the moisture you guys average, and my optimistic targets are 60 bushel winter wheat, 100 bushel corn, uh, 1,800 pound sunflowers.
1: Okay. Yep. I was just writing down yield potential. 60-bushel right. winter wheat, 100-bushel yep, corn, I got I got and 1,800-pound okay. flowers. Okay. So we got good news and bad news for you. Um, good news is a lot of your soil pHs are are good. You're in the sixes for the most part, and your potassium levels are great. So, you got a lot of stuff that's 8, 9, 10% potassium. You do not need to add any potassium to your fields. Now, it's, for a it's while.
0: around a 10 CEC on average. Yes. It, it varies so, a little bit. Yes. So, so
1: not, it's not a forever thing because it is only 10 to 15 cation exchange capacity. Your soil can only hold so much potassium. So, the base saturation, that's a ratio of potassium to everything else. It looks pretty darn good. Uh, magnesium looks pretty good. For the most part, the calcium looks pretty good. You got a couple of spots where, like if if you weren't, went to a Neil Kinsey class, he'd tell you run a cation displacement on your two spots where you got 90% calcium and 33, 38 cation exchange capacity. Um, And you can see in your excess lime scores, you have excess lime there. That's the reason why everything looks skewed. So what's happening in your soil is there's free lime just floating around. So that's throwing your calcium number way high, which is then, in ratio, making your potassium and your magnesium look bad. So I wouldn't add any potassium or magnesium in those areas. Uh, if it was me, instead I would probably just get some sulfur out there and you need sulfur everywhere. So um, when I come to the bad news part, you don't have any sulfur and a lot of your areas have very little phosphorus. I mean, it's not terrible, but um, in in quite a few spots, I mean you've got 50 to 100. Keep in mind, this is Malik 3. So you've got to have a much higher number than you do if you're running a, an Olsen test or a P1 Bray weak bray phosphorus test. This is more, the Malik is more like a, Malik 3 is more like a P2 or strong bray phosphorus. So it's telling you what's available today plus what they believe will come available for the next growing season. So you need that number 50 to 100 in our estimation in a lot of cases and you're down 9, 20, 15, you know, somewhere. It's 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 not real good. So you got to get that phosphorus up at least in spots. But here's here's the thing: when you've done since you've done this soil testing on one acre grids, you don't have to put lots of phosphorus everywhere. You put it where you need it, and then you want to get your zinc in ratio to that roughly roughly ten to one. So let's say you had fifty parts per million on phosphorus. I, I mean, and you want to at least maintain it there. You want to get your zinc closer to five. Now, you don't have to get all the way up to five in one shot or anything else, but zinc sulfate's pretty inexpensive. For all fertilizers, zinc sulfate's one of the most or uh, one of the least expensive. So you just go spread some zinc sulfate out there on your ground. This is your chance to get it incorporated down in the ground. Same thing with your phosphorus. It's your chance to get it incorporated in the ground. But like I said, there is good news, and it's you don't have to put any potassium out for at least a couple, three years, most likely, so spend your money on phosphorus, spend your money on sulfur and zinc, and you're going to be in pretty good shape. Other than that, I mean, we do like to see copper levels near two and you're at about one. And we like to see boron levels about one one thousandth of where your calcium is. So you're, let's call it A thousand to two thousand on calcium, so we'd like your boron to be one to two parts per million, somewhere in there. You just want to get a little bit of boron out. You don't have to spend much money on that or anything. The big things are really phosphorus, zinc, and sulfur, and then I would consider adding a little bit of copper in spots and a little bit of boron too. And yeah, I mean it's frustrating when you don't get much much rain and you have like medium textured soil so it's not super heavy soil it's going to hold all kinds of moisture but you just got to keep going after it and do what you can to make sure that soil's in good shape because if you balance those soil nutrient nutrients right your crop's going to use less water and then your yields over time should go up so obviously in your environment you got to be careful to some degree what you spend, but that's why soil testing is so important. You don't have to soil test every year or anything like that, but just with this baseline here of where we're at, okay, now we know. What 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 are we dealing with? Uh, spend your money on phosphorus, sulfur, and zinc first, and you'll be in good shape.
0: All right. Thanks for the question and good luck to you. Congratulations also on, on picking up some new ground. This one from Adam, he said, I wanted to reach out and see if you guys had dates or details on the next soil fertility training with Neil Kinsey. Hey, Adam, uh, you can certainly go to to KinseyAg.com. You can look at Neil's website for any trainings that Neil is doing as far as him uh, coming here to uh, the Ag PhD field day site. We're planning on next February 20th through the 22nd.
1: Yep. So most likely that's when it's going to be. We, we're still working on our winter workshop times, dates, that kind of thing. But we will have a number of Ag PhD winter workshops, at, like Darren said, at our Ag PhD field day site in the Morton Center. So we're most likely going to do a soils workshop, a corn workshop, we'll do naturals, we we'll do soybeans, and then to kind of wrap things up for the season, we'd have Neil Kinsey in. And yeah, right now, tentatively, we're working with him. It looks like February 20th through 22nd. And I would expect we'll get these things finalized here probably within the next month.
0: Thanks for asking. I really appreciate that, Adam. Hopefully you'll be able to attend that. I uh, got this question in from Andrew, who said, I'm asking about your soils clinics. I'm, I'm curious, is there a link to watch those clinics? I'd love to come, but it's often not possible. So just wondering what the online options are.
1: Yeah. So for our Ag PhD magazine subscribers, then they have the opportunity to catch any of those live streams. And then we leave those up as a recorded session too for quite a while. So anyway, just go to agphdinsider.com and you can subscribe to the magazine and then you would have the chance to uh, get in on any of those seminars virtually.
0: All right, question from Joey here. Do you guys have any resources about nutrient removal in popcorn? Your Ag PhD removal app doesn't have that particular crop listed. I'm aiming for a goal of 5,500 pounds per acre. Also, is it true that popcorn has less standability than dent corn and could need heavier potassium rates? Uh, yes. yes, Joey. Yes, you need more <laughs> potassium to raise popcorn. No doubt about that. It's yep. uh, Popcorn is a type of flint corn and that particular one, especially if you overdo N. And, and here's one of the things that I would say for a lot of growers raising popcorn, they just put on nitrogen and that's it. Well, if you just put on in your nitrogen-to-potassium ratio gets way out of whack really fast, and then standability gets even worse.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people fall into this trap of, okay, just like in his case, he's getting around 100 bushel yields. Well, if you were getting 200 bushel corn, you're like, ah, I'm only getting 100 bushel popcorn, and they say popcorn is going to be fairly similar in terms of the field corn. I mean— for the most part, I'm just going to tell you follow what field corn says, put in your yield number just like it was field corn, and follow those recommendations. That's going to get you real, real close. But Darren's right. I mean, we. So normally here on the show, we're talking about 4% to 8% base saturation K, and then, you know, just a certain number of pounds. You've got to have a minimum number of pounds in your soil with potassium. But you probably want to bump that maybe just a little bit more than normal. So instead of the bare minimum 4% base saturation K, you might want 5 or 6 something like that. You want good standability if at all possible.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen nutrient removal numbers on popcorn either. Uh, that no. I don't know any hard fast numbers i know nope, a lot of universities but, will say they'll recommend putting on 85 percent of what your field corn wrecks are so yeah, they're just basically overdoing the fertilizer on the popcorn intentionally which i think isn't a bad idea either wait aren't they underdoing it well if you said 200 bushel corn or 100 bushel popcorn shoot for uh, whatever no 85. no
1: no they're saying 85 percent of 100 bushels so now follow the corn recommendation you're good
2: Good morning and Hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over.
4: What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped.
2: Woo hoo hoo hoo! We field heaven!
4: Here. Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amped Herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard.
2: This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So how can I
4: get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com.
2: It's gonna be a good year! Always
4: read and follow label directions
2: nothing but net win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad spectrum control of elevest insect control from fmc take on army worms stink bugs soybean loopers and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests visit your fmc retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season always read and follow all label directions
0: You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time here in the Morton studio. And our phone lines are open at 844 44 ag or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Just before the break, we we're talking about popcorn a little bit. One other thing that I thought of too, Brian, popcorn often starts a lot slower than field corn. And you kind of notice this if you put a strip of popcorn in in your field corn field and try and hide it out there. That one, it seems like it just doesn't have the vigor early on in the season. And starter fertilizer seems to be even more beneficial for popcorn than it is for field corn, just having available nutrients but not overdoing it. And a lot of times we see folks putting too much of a high salt starter in. That's something to watch out for. So popcorn, just think of it as... Uh, Maybe a little closer to seed corn fields (laughs) where you are dealing with inbreds. It's not quite that fussy, but uh, it's closer to that than it is to the field corn sometimes. And
1: again, if it's me, I'm just putting in whatever yield I'm hoping for on on popcorn, plugging that into our field corn nutrient removal chart, and then going from there. So you may have to make some modifications, but... For the most part, that should get you a pretty darn close.
0: All right, got this question from Mike over in Michigan, speak about infurrow fertilizer. Uh, he said, I'm wondering your opinion on rates of in-furrow fertilizer regarding salt. I'm currently running three gallons of a 525 with uh, Capture LFR, and I haven't had any issues at all. But I was watching this video on Precision's furrow jets. Where they ran ten gallons of ten thirty four O in furrow, and through the little wings, they were about a half inch to an inch horizontal to the seed. Now, granted, that was more than likely in heavy Illinois soils. <laughs> yep. I'm in lighter soils, anywhere from a four to a twelve CEC. Ooh, yep. So I was curious if putting ten thirty four O in all three zones how much salt or or converted to how many gallons of 1034-O would be safe in my kind of lighter soils?
1: Yep, here's the problem. When you say what's safe, zero is safe. We know that for sure. (laughs) And then anything you're going to do beyond that, you're taking some degree of risk. So how much risk are you willing to take? There are some people that they're willing to take lots of risk. I, I, I mean, personally... I don't want to take that much risk. I got enough risk already in farming. So when I think about your four to 12 CEC ground, I, I want to keep my pounds of salt very, very low. So three gallons of a 525. Am I very worried about that? No. Is there still a slight degree of risk? Of course there is. So that that this is basically the the conversation that I'll have with farmers to say, all right, where are you at on how risk averse on a scale of one to 10? How how much risk do you want to take? Do you want to take a 10 or do you want one or, or even more? I should really say it's zero. Do you want zero risk? If you want absolutely zero risk, you do not put fertilizer in the furrow, period, because there's always some tiny little bit of risk by doing that. So 10 gallons of ten thirty four O. What are we talking there? We're talking in a 30-inch row, over 15 pounds of salt per acre. That's a lot. Even if you are off the sea just a little bit, that's too much. That's too much. There's no possible chance I'm ever going to recommend that. And I don't care what your soil type is or your moisture situation. I'm not going to recommend that as an agronomist because last thing I want is for me to make a recommendation and you to have a problem. Even if it's only a one in 10 year problem, no way. No, thank you. So no, I, our limit on, uh, in 30 inch rows is usually five gallons and 5 pounds, I should say, of salt in the furrow. 5 pounds of salt in the furrow, that's usually our standard recommendation in moderately heavy soils with moderate rainfall, okay? So you can take it from there. When you're talking light soils, you know, if, if it's me, yeah, I'm cutting back a little bit. I, you just, you, you just got to be careful. You can go more two-by-two. Two, you can put a fair amount on. Otherwise, this is the reason why people like Neil Kinsey, for example, that we were just talking about in the last segment, he talks about broadcast all the time because he's just worried about crop safety. So got to be a little bit careful.
0: Right, thanks for the question. I uh, get this one from Wayland up in North Dakota who says, guys, we've been minimum till planting in central North Dakota. We do one pass wheat seeding in the spring with anhydrous application. We pull a double shoot Concord hoe drill, Dutch openers, Y-splitters. We apply and knife the NH3 in below the seed. Now we always have a great stand of wheat and uh, anhydrous doesn't seem to kill the seed off the way we're doing it. However, we recently started using biologicals on our seed. So my question is: Are we wasting money on the biologicals since the the anhydrous kills everything within a certain area, or should we feel safe that if it's not killing the seed, if the biologicals are on that seed, would they be okay too? Uh, we're How typically much anhydrous? typically knifing it in one to two inches deeper down the center of the Y splitters. Uh, there uh, doesn't say. Doesn't sound much. <laughs> that's the key but question. I'm just gonna guess. That's the whole shot for the year. So say you're raising, yeah, but sixty bushel spring wheat, and you're throwing out nitrogen, maybe 125 pounds, all with anhydrous, all with the planter. Maybe. If you're not killing the seed, I'm thinking the the beneficials, at least some of them, are going to live, and they're going Definitely. to continue to grow throughout the season. Right. So if you don't kill them all off they're going to still colonize and grow. And the way to find out, Waylon, what I would do is I'd say, okay, I'm going to put the biologicals on the first half of the field and not the second half of the field. yep, try it out. And then you'll see. And if you see a yield advantage, you know they're still living and you know they're working. Yes. Okay, I was hoping you'd have a better idea than that, Brian, but I guess that's that's what it is.
1: You just try it out and you find out. Yeah, but, I I mean, if you don't have so much out there that's killing the seed, then the odds are pretty high you're not going to kill the biologicals either. So- but biologicals are going to be more sensitive than that seed. I get that. So is it possible you're going to kill some? Sure it is. But this is really going to vary depending on the year, how, how well that anhydrous seals up down below. I mean, what you're doing here has, just like we were talking about with the last question that came in, it has some degree of risk. So the lower you keep the anhydrous rate, though, then the better off you are. And I'll just say this, would I do it that way on my farm? No, no, I would not. I would do the anhydrous and then I'd probably do the anhydrous in the fall. I'd see the wheat in the spring and then that's how I would do it just to maximize safety. But I mean, you're maybe a, a little more willing to take some risk and especially if it has worked for you before, I get that. Here's the other thing. Wheat isn't like corn. Corn we really like it when every plant grows now every plant doesn't have to grow a lot of guys lose their minds when they don't get an absolutely perfect stand and they still get really great yields so it's not it's not like super critical even for corn but for wheat and for soybeans and just some of the other crops it's even less important than it is with corn you don't have to have an absolute perfect stand you can kill off a few wheat plants here and there I just don't like to because why we just spent the money on the seed the seed treatment the seeding we don't want to purposely kill off any plants so I'm still a little concerned and I just make sure you're keeping that rate of anhydrous low and yeah I I think your biologicals will work but like Darren said test them out
0: all right uh, I get this question from Dean So we recently finished a building project and we have lots of leftover sheetrock scraps. Now I've heard putting sheetrock on a troubled spot in the field can be good. Of course, sheetrock is gypsum with paper. So my questions are, do you agree that putting sheetrock scraps on problem spots could be beneficial? And if so, what are the troubled spots like saline or other things that you would target?
1: Well, what I'm going to target is spots where I'm low on calcium and low on sulfur. So I'd look at my soil tests, and if I'm really low on calcium and really low on sulfur, then that's perfect because gypsum is calcium and sulfur. It's calcium sulfate. In, in terms of if you've got drywall, there are some other things in there. I mean there's clay, there's mica, there's resin there's I mean there's paper there's other stuff besides the the calcium sulfate but when you say we have lots in a field situation is not going to amount to a whole lot I'm going to assume so it's it's most likely no big deal. I don't think there's enough of anything that's else that's in that drywall that's going to hurt your soil especially if this is a one-time kind of deal so yeah I'd be just fine putting that out on my field if it was me
0: all right thanks for the question I had this one come in from Garnett up in Ontario, Canada. Guys, you talk about a biological to try and break down corn stalks. I'm trying to remember the name of the product you guys use. The product we use is called Decomp, uh, Garnett. He said, I remember back in the day there was a product developed for the oil industry uh, called BTM. Haven't been able to find that for years, but we were mixing that with molasses as a starter on uh, standing cover crop, and it worked to accelerate breakdown. Hey, thanks, Garnett. Really appreciate the question, and good luck to you as you're trying to break down that residue this year. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.